And now the youth pastor you wish you had when you were in middle or high school, Caroline Kittle, take it away. Thanks, Lisa. Hi, everybody. Um, okay, so I brought um, some seeds. I don't know if you can see them um, on Zoom, but um, maybe you can just imagine what they look like up close. So they're actually kind of dry looking and not exactly beautiful, but I think there's life packed inside them. Now, if you plant a stone, even a shiny one painted, um, it remains a stone and nothing comes out of it. But if you plant one of these little seeds in the ground, the whole future is possible. Once these seeds are planted, their physical bodies look very, very different from what they are today. Of course, the seed has to break open first in the dirt and receive water and air and light. But still, I wonder, what do you imagine this little seed could look like once it's planted in the earth? We have to wait and see, don't we? But even this plain old dry seed can still awaken our imaginations in the present moment. So we begin this reflection on seeds because they make a simple, beautiful metaphor. A good speaker makes complex ideas simple. So one of my shortcomings is making the simple overly complex. So please forgive me for falling into complexity while speaking of simple things. We're doing a series uh, about spiritual practices for expressing emotion. And today we're gonna focus on the spiritual practice of expressing emotion through the imagination. So the imagination is a place where something comes from nothing. In our imaginations, we can create, play in, and destroy entire worlds with nothing but our thoughts. Now, the sages say the only place, the only other place where something comes from nothing is in the mind of God. Children have great imaginations where um, they express their emotions and often they do this through imaginative play. Religious people often express their emotions through imaginative storytelling and oral traditions along with the written word. So today we're going to explore three areas in which people express deeply held emotions with their imaginations and then we'll reimagine the related Bible verses. So we're gonna start with children, um, and I can actually hear my children banging on drums in the background, um, but people express their deeply held emotions about children through their imaginations. So I know so many people, and myself included, who imagine a great many things for their children, and children in general. We imagine what kind of people they will become, who they will love, what kind of world they will inherit, and what social and religious values they will uphold or reject. But children and young people actually have their own imaginations. 
often to a parent's great surprise and even dismay. For example, I have um, a super liberal, anti-capitalism, feminist friend whose college-aged son thought about going to business school. Of all places, business school, she'd exclaim, God forbid, if she believed in God. Can you imagine? People also express deeply held emotions about marriage through their imagination, fantasies, and longings. So I have another older friend who is very religious, sincere hearted, and quite devout. But she's also kind of a romantic. So in her imagination, marriage is this bond between a man and a woman with the fruitful blessing of children. However, as a young person, she fell deeply in love. She left behind all social expectations about marriage and children that are imposed upon the women of her time. She wanted to live for Jesus. By rejecting marriage with a man, and hey, she loves who she loves, my friend has been able to foster and adopt children with a bunch of other single women in one home. And I say, how delightfully queer is that? So people also express deeply held emotions about gender through their imaginations. When my best friend became engaged with her wife, someone we both know used her imagination when she asked me, which one of them is the husband? So I looked at her curiously and felt uncomfortable. And I said, uh, they're both women, which is the only reply I could really think of. The thing is, every human relationship has within it a vibrant mix of gender and gender preferences that cannot be cleanly divided between two people. So another friend, a woman who I respect and admire for her deep and profound spirituality, she used to be married to a man and now she's happily married to a woman. She said that her wife embodies more masculine energy than her ex ever did. Real relationships between real people will always blend the, and mix our gender binaries that we keep so cleanly divided in our imaginations. Now, I'm a, a cisgendered, straight, married woman, and I'm trying to be aware of my blind spots. The conservative church um, might celebrate uh, or affirm my gender expression or marriage while condemning other people's relationships or genders. However, no one but God knows the inner workings of any relationship or the truest desires within any human heart. So my partner and I have a longstanding joke in our marriage and um, it's not each day is better than the last, but we like to say each day is better than the next. So sometimes it takes a second, but what we're saying is that it gets harder every day. So now that we've done some storytelling, we're gonna reimagine some ideas that the church has imposed as a heavy burden on our mental health and well-being. I love the Bible 
and I love exploring the imaginative readings of the text. Unless we have hearts of stone, God gives us ears to hear and hearts to understand. So if this teaching doesn't make sense, don't worry about it. Continually seek love and speak truth because ultimately the truth sets us free. We're going to look at verses in the book of Genesis um, that are quite honestly packed with emotion. Uh, I think Emily's gonna help paste them in the chat window and um, now let's just reimagine them together and take a deeper look. So in the beginning of Genesis chapter one, it says, and God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him. And this is grammatically singular, male and female, he created them. The Hebrew in this verse can be read as singular, even the part about male and female. So usually the English translations say male and female, he created them which sounds like two or more people. But the Midrash, which is the rabbinic interpretation of the Bible, or more simply, the story behind the story, says that this verse means that God created one human with two faces, and only later did God divide this human being in the place where God says it is not good for the human to be alone. Okay, so in the beginning, we have a singular human being that is made in the image of God and is later divided and alone. Then in a different chapter in Genesis 2, we have another verse of very gendered language that can be triggering for us because it's been sorely misused as this one size fits all kind of verse. Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we can read this neutrally, that a person will leave their family and cleave to their partner, and they shall become one. And that's very romantic. But it says one flesh, which is a strange way to describe two individual humans. Rashi was a preeminent medieval French rabbi and gives a comprehensive commentary on the Hebrew Bible. His explanations are known to be simple and understandable, even for a five or six-year-old child. So Rashi comments on the meaning of this verse, that they shall become one flesh. And this means, and I quote, the fetus is formed by them both, and there in the child, their flesh becomes one. So here, Rashi describes a scientific reality of procreation. A sperm joins with an egg, and there in the child, the sperm and egg become one flesh. So I wonder if we take these verses by their simplest meanings, that every human was made in the image of God, and that in the beginning of you, an egg and sperm united as one flesh to create you. From there, we are like seeds in the garden, and only God knows what we will become. 
This rereading opens the imagination to seeing the diversity of humankind all around us in new ways. Every person has a path that they will take in matters of love and gender, often leaving their family system behind to find it. Not everyone is called to have a child within a heterosexual union, not nuns, not adoptive and foster parents, not those who are living single, not surrogate mothers or sperm donors, not LGBTQIA folks, and definitely not children. Interestingly, the institution of marriage wasn't for the Apostle Paul, who says, from now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none. That's in 1 Corinthians. And marriage wasn't for Jesus either, who said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. And I think Diane did that in the Kids Minute today. Um, Jesus also says, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. So the mysterious and perhaps mystical texts from Genesis 1 and 2 have way too often been interpreted as a hard-hearted prescription for all people. But the refreshingly simple commentary of our imaginative rereading points the listener away from gender binaries and procreation towards the beloved child who is one flesh and made in the image of God. We don't know who that child will become, who the child will love with all their heart, or what gender they will express. But the truth sets us free. Maybe at the resurrection, we really will all be one, like the angels, no longer male and female. What God brings together, let no one separate. Human sexuality and gender are beautiful, powerful expressions of our humanity, but they can be abused by individuals, partners, families, society, and of course, tradition. A loving parent puts up walls and clear boundaries for their child, not to control the child, but to protect them from harm. Similarly, once a seed is planted, the loving gardener puts up a protective fence and also carefully cuts and trims the plant, not to destroy it, but to help the seed grow into the body that the seed itself desires to become. We should never judge a seed or a child by what we imagine they should be. Don't even judge yourself that way. I have three little seedlings to raise. And if I can instill within them any message on matters of love and gender, it would be 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. That's from Psalm 37. So let's plant that seed in our hearts, because thank God, the future is not set in stone, but is open to our imagination and to God's. So that's pretty much it on the spiritual practice of expressing emotion through imagination. Forgive me for making the simple so complex. Um, for our meditation time, let's settle into our seats. Okay, so take a deep, a deep breath. Maybe feel your feet on the floor. Try to envision a plant growing from this small seed. What do you see? Maybe close your eyes if you haven't already, and try to imagine what sort of new body will be given to this dry little seed once its heart breaks open and it reaches for the heavens. Can you imagine a tall mustard tree with birds on its branches? Can you imagine a grapevine that thrives along the fence? Can you imagine fields of grain ready for the harvest? Okay, so you can open your eyes now. Um, no one except God knows what the seed truly desires to become, especially not by looking at its outer shell, but it's all in there. And with the right soil and water and air and sun and love, the seed will grow into a surprising new body. But for this little seed, right now, we'll just have to use our imagination.